Welcome to the RPG Design Panelcast, presenting the very best recorded panels and seminars related to game design and publishing. These panels have been made possible thanks to Double Exposure and their game design convention Metatopia at Metatopia Online 2020. These panels have also been made possible thanks to the kind contributions of the panel speakers and moderators at this event. Now, let's get to it. Episode 274, Running a Successful Playgroup. Presented by Tam Yang, David Gordon, Chris Backey, and Kevin Dunkelberger. Okay. <laughs> Not all things get replaced, Chris. I mean, sometimes they do. <laughs> How often do you, do you get to, to play it at all? Um, I'm more like of a meat saber right now. It sounds okay. like the name of a game. Uh, not all old things get replaced. Hmm. A good title. Old things that break and can't easily be fixed. Yeah, do kind of need to. If you know, you know, if it's something like uh, what's it called, um, the the Japanese art of uh, replacing or like fixing cracks with gold, uh, Kinasugi, Kinasagi. I don't remember the exact pronunciation, but uh, uh, someone has made a game about that. And uh, if I recall correctly, this show, I found myself uh, starting a virtual playtesting group, which uh, has grown to be one of the biggest of its type, which is awesome. Um, and yeah, we start, I met up with another designer uh, who is based in the UK. I'm currently in Poland. And we were looking for some way of playtesting on European friendly times. And uh, we got together and realized that the technology to do this is, you know, just in Discord and Google Sheets, and off we went. So here we are. Awesome. And Kevin, um, I believe you're in the UK, correct? Uh, no, actually, I'm from Indiana. Oh, well, so uh, the thing. Uh, virtual playtest is that we're both in the UK and in the American blocks. So uh, Chris and Ian, they start off during the beginning of the day when most people would probably be at work. And then as it transfers on to later in the day, there's me and a few other moderators that do more of the American block. Um, so my information is that, yes, I'm a Hoosier from Indiana, and I do board game design. I have one published project so far, and I'm trying to work on my next. And I really don't have much else to say within the board game community. Um, I really would like to see when people are around and having fun playtesting their games and helping them improve them, pretty much. Thank you. Uh, let's move on to David, who I used to see very regularly, but now just on video. Yeah, uh, I'm David Gordon. I really miss those days. Uh, Tam and I are in the um, New York City playtest group with, that Gil Hova started, and or I don't know if he started. I guess he started it, but yes, he's he did, run yeah. it for a long time. Um, actually, Tam was the first person I met the first time I ever went to the um, the New York City playtest group in person, um, having been invited by Gil. Uh, Tam was there, very welcoming. And that's one of the things I've been really impressed with the whole virtual experience 
is how welcoming all of these groups have been, um, whether it's going to um, your Seattle group or the VPT, uh, people are just so friendly and inviting. And so I'm really excited to share our experiences here today uh, and um, hopefully get more people to come in and feel the welcoming open arms of all of these virtual playtest groups. That's awesome. And last but not least, uh, we have somebody representing the West Coast um, who is actually in Las Vegas from what I hear. Yeah. Hey, everybody. My name is um, Estefania Rodriguez, and I uh, reside in Las Vegas, but I am part of the Seattle uh, Tabletop Game Designers Group online, and I'm also part of another one called Break My Game, um, which I've joined both of them, and uh, I basically help out. I'm um, in this new time. I've never been to, like you guys, never been to the physical one that used to happen for these groups. Um, but um, it's been nice uh, meeting everyone online through it and being able to play test uh, with them. So I'm hopefully here to share some of that experience with you. Definitely. Awesome. And um, I don't know about you guys, but uh, before COVID, I was, I'd never done any virtual playtesting. I was very much against doing anything virtual for board games because I, I do work on online and on my computer a lot. And I, I, I got into the hobby because I wanted to kind of break away from spending so much time in front of the computer and I wanted to touch physical things. <laughs> so, uh, uh, but you know, you have to change with the time. So when we were, I remember, right before the end we were meeting in real life and uh, and then when the lockdown happened we very quickly moved online um and um, uh, gil hover who is a who is very great at organizing this stuff and um i think there were a few people uh david you were part of that as well and we very quickly picked some of the tools like um, tabletop simulator was one of the big tools that we picked do you want to tell us a little bit about that experience, Dave? Yeah, I mean, like you, I did nothing online. In fact, I had tried to learn Tabletop Simulator twice before March and failed both times and gave up. I just threw my hands in the air after a three-hour session trying to figure it out. And once we went on lockdown, Gil was like really intent on keeping testing going for these next four to six weeks while we're shut down and can't play the whole thing. <laughs> and so Gil like literally just said, okay, we're going to hop on the computer together. We are going to share my screen and we're going to put your game. Uh, it was my um, ocean game on tabletop simulator and like two hours of tutoring, um, it, you know, far exceeded several hours of all of the other ways of doing it. And maybe it's just Gil's special ability to, to, to know what to teach, but um, it was actually quite um, intuitive after that. And I was able to quickly upload all of my other games. So the transition was very fast and, and, um, and we got that group up. I, Tam, you were one of those, the, the moderators early on and Dan Newman um, got the group up and running and started spreading the word. And there were like, all of a sudden there were, um, hundreds of people and the variety of the testers was not that it wasn't great going to Whole Foods and seeing the same 12, 15 people twice a week. Um, 
but getting so many more voices and opinions and ideas, it became this entirely amazing thing. Awesome. And Estefania, what is your experience when it comes to online testing and the tool like Tabletopia specifically? Like, have you used that before? So Tabletopia, I, it's oh, funny. I knew about Tabletopia. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay that too. Yeah. Um, I, I knew about both of them before COVID. Um, Kind of like yourself, I tried it, uh, Tabletop Simulator, and it was like, nah, thanks, I'll just go back to physical games, no big deal. And then, so when we were kind of forced because of COVID, um, to me personally, it was a nightmare to get used to. Uh, it took me several sessions and uploading my own game, uh, and it's my first game that I'm working on called Popcat Spider, and um, it was so hard to get used to it, but then when I did my first playtest with someone who was... Um, in the East Coast and someone who's in Europe, I was like, oh, wow. Like the switch of being able to connect with someone like that, because I would have never been able to connect uh, with those kind of people. And then them being able to show me their game, it that whole thing is a great experience. So I highly recommend Tabletop Simulator, even if it takes you a bit to get used to. It's an amazing tool to have these days. Very awesome. Um, how about you, Kevin? So, um, I'm both a heavy player of video games and board games, so when Tabletop Simulator came out, I of course want to try it because I'm kind of a social nomad and I, all of my friends from like high school and college, of course we all go really far apart after that happens. I mean, I even have a friend who's all the way in Japan, so I was like, how am I ever going to play a physical board game with him? Um, I started working on my own prototypes within Tabletop Simulator because it was just really quick to edit and do stuff quickly. I could say, hey, before I send this to get printed somewhere and like spend 20 bucks to get a physical copy of it, at least try it virtually first. Um, so the transfer from COVID is that I also went to a lot of protospiels, which were in live events at all across America. And of course, those aren't happening anymore. And then the site that they used to uh, organize everyone was starting to go out of business because it's like, well, as soon as all live events shut down, of course, we're going to shut down. They had a drive to try to get some funding for it. And at that drive, I was like, hey, why don't we run kind of like a virtual protospiel event there uh, to help drive some business up. And that's actually where I met Chris. So then when Chris saw me doing that, he's like, hey, why don't I help? Why don't I ask you to be within virtual playtest? And that's kind of how I became the third member. Yeah. Yeah, uh, Ian and I started the group, and Kevin was uh, the first host that we brought on uh, to help us kind of begin expanding things. And uh, so I bought Tabletop Simulator maybe sometime in mid-2018 that went on sale, and I heard about it, and I thought, okay, sure, why not? Uh, I've had plenty of opportunities to uh, play test in the real world, and, and who wants to sit in front of a computer to play a board game? That's just nuts. So... Um, over time, I, it just becomes one of those things you, you buy and you forget about, and, and then all of a sudden you need it. And I'm reminded of the old quote, necessity is the mother of invention. So necessity has uh, brought me to this tool and reminded me uh, just what it can do, but also to some extent how much, uh, how, how awesome it is to connect with people in this, in this online atmosphere. We are now spread out around on 
you know, at least what three or four different times with just the just the five of us here. Um, at an average virtual playtesting meeting, we will have people from seven or eight time zones on at some point or other during the event. And you know, we have people from Saudi Arabia and Finland all the way to the west coast of the U.S. Uh, we've got people across Canada and uh, just Western and Eastern Europe. And it's been amazing to see and, and connect with people um, that I never would have met um, in any other way. So, Which is an excellent segue. Uh, you know, before, as David was saying, you would be lucky to have two play tests a week. Now you can literally find a play test happening every day of the week. You might have too many play tests happening. And um, on my slide, I have put together, um, so if you go to Cardboard Edison website, they maintain uh, a list of the virtual playtest groups that are happening. So that would be a good resource for you to join depending upon your time zone and availability. Um, yeah, so no, we've been, Tabletop Simulator is great, especially if, if you're a game designer. And that's, and I would probably continue using that Tabletop Simulator as a tool to quickly roll out my uh, prototypes and test it without going, you know, before I would have to spend hours cutting pieces of paper and cardboard, mm. sleeving cards. Now I'm just going to go straight to tabletop simulator, even when things get back to normal and do, uh, do, do that test. Now there are other tools that are available. Uh, Tabletopia has, uh, was mentioned. Um, uh, and um, we have a list of uh, various game testing tools as well. Now, for game designers, I think Tabletop Simulator is the best because of it makes it easy to make changes. The other tools are good for maybe regular gamers, but not necessarily for game designers. Would that be accurate? I think so. I, I have to um, use Tabletopia to have my game up there and making changes, even if it's one square kind of moving and it has this domino effect it makes it really hard to make snap points again and that kind of stuff. So tabletop simulator doesn't have that. So for me, um, like you said yourself, um, I will probably keep using tabletop simulator even if uh, and when everything goes back to normal uh, because it's just so easy and to get a playtest done when you have small changes uh, instead of having to spend 10 hours cutting papers and boards and tokens. Yeah. I definitely like. I've definitely grown the most accustomed to uh, tabletop simulator. Uh, I have not yet tried to develop a game in Tabletopia. Um, the other program that's definitely worth mentioning in this conversation is ScreenTop.tv. Um, it's another sort of. It's a little bit similar to Tabletopia in that it is. Uh, it's free to. Do, it's free to play. It's done in a browser. You make a game in a browser. Um, but one thing that really sets it apart from anything else I've seen thus far is it's fast. It loads as fast as a web page does, not as uh, not as slow as uh, a loading screen on tabletop simulator seems to take. Um, so it's uh, it's actually a really exciting tool that I'm hoping will be uh, continued uh, developing more as, as time goes on. It just released its 1.0 uh, earlier this year, so there's a a lot of opportunities to, to develop on that platform as well. Yeah, 
right now, I think that Tabletop Simulator is the best option for anyone who's trying to start getting into virtual playtesting. And that's just due to a lot of different factors. The first factor is that everyone's familiar with it. And since that has the biggest community, you don't have to, like, teach so many people. I mean, we've tried so hard over the past couple of months to get people into Tabletop Simulator. And now it's like, if you try to go to somewhere else, it starts to confuse people. Um, also, it's just a buy once and you are able to work with it. You don't have to do any other additional fees on top of that, which is something that you can criticize Tabletopia for. Uh, screen top, I haven't tried enough. Uh, Chris vouches for his uh, speed, and I'd have to try it afterward that. And then there's a new program that I saw on Steam called Tabletop Playground. But since that is very similar to Tabletop Simulator and it's new, we don't really want to get the community into a second tool unless everyone's able to get to it. Um, so right now I would think that Tabletop Simulator is probably the best currently because it has the mix of the community, ease of use, and it's a one-time cost, pretty much. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah, I, I would just second all of that. I think I have tried to make games on tabletop, Tabletopia. Um, even just if you look at building a deck, the way that you build a deck in Tabletop Simulator uh, is dramatically easier. And then for revising things, you can just click the custom and put a new image up there. It's just like takes seconds and you don't have mm -hmm. to put all the new snap points in as Estefania was saying. Um, yeah. You do uh, have to uh, tell people to turn off mod caching though. Yeah. Most people are like, huh, doesn't seem like you changed much. Why are you saying that this is a six instead of a seven? <laughs> yeah. Right. I, I wish that they would, um, Tabletop Simulator, now that I'm sure they're getting a lot of um, our uh, $10, $20 for their software, they would update that feature where, we, as a designer, I can say, everybody get this, you know, essentially have the onus of doing mod caching off from the designer perspective and not from the player. So if I push out a new release, I can say everybody must reload. So that would be a cool... Tabletop Simulator has a lot of uh, questionable um, default decisions, starting with the music that comes on when you first open it. <laughs> now, there are, there are some um, other, you know, Tabletop um, Simulator, it does require um, a fairly good game gaming computer to run it. Um, I have a laptop, which is too slow to run it, so I have to use my desktop computer, and I think that is a little bit of a barrier for some designers who may not, who may just have a laptop and not uh, a PC game computer. Um, yeah, I, yeah, that can be a barrier to entry, um, depending on how well you're set up technologically. Yeah, I have a um, mid-range laptop from about four years ago, and um, what I've actually learned, and this is something I, I often tell people if they feel their computers underpowered. Uh, you're going to eat whatever uh, voice chat you're going to be using, whether it's uh, Discord or something else, run that on a separate device because Discord and Tabletop Simulator are competing for the same, you know, uh, CPU power. So if you can offload that to a second device, you can let Tabletop Simulator kind of run that a bit more. Sorry, sorry, Kevin. Yeah, oh, no, really I was just also saying that um, another one of the things that you have to keep in mind when using Tabletop Simulator is how it affects your playtest and how that's going to differ from a physical version of the game. You always have to kind of like lay out um, twice as much time in order for a playtest. 
and see how that impacts people's um, liking. Because like, it's just snappier. Well, it will be snappier and physical, but I just can't show you right now because everything else. And this like highly impacts things like dexterity games, where it's mm-hmm. like, well, everyone knows how to use their hands in real life, but like using a mouse and all the shortcuts like that, people are like vastly different uh, virtual space than they are in a physical space. Yeah, go ahead, David. I, I was just going to say really quickly, I think it might, it goes both ways too, because you can make a game that's built for tabletop simulator that just will not function as smoothly in real life. I mean, just, uh, you know, the shuffling is so much easier. And so if you have a game where you're shuffling all the time, then you need to add some time, I think, to real life. So you have to kind of it, but that's a good point, Kevin. There's, you definitely have to be aware of the difference of the time it'll take in real Deck life. Deck building games have gotten so much better in tabletop simulator. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, as designers, we really have to pay attention to the difference between physical and the virtual and always, you know, um, keep that at the back of our heads. Uh, have, have you run across any similar issues, Estefania? Yeah, I definitely have. Um, and like, uh, just like what Chris had said earlier, I th- I do the same thing where I use two different devices because the first time that I was doing it, I I feel like uh, my computer was because I have a laptop as well. It was significantly slower, so I use my phone for the audio and chat, and then just the only thing I run is tabletop simulator, and still my laptop is I can cook an egg at the bottom of it. Um, it's very hot, but I I'm, it, thankfully it works. Um, but yeah. attempt with your with your question, what was that about the problems right with um, the feedback with using right. tabletop simulator? Also, like the transition between the physical and the virtual, and you know, designing for one but testing on the other, and making sure that you're covering. Yeah, there's there's definitely complications and doing a physical playtest of a game and then doing that same game in the uh, physical form uh, with digital, I mean, uh, it's, it shows different problems. Um, and sometimes uh, doing digital, it, it does help for the most part, but like, I feel like all games, they have a 10 minute extra of like dealing with tabletop simulators. So if your game usually lasts 30 minutes on tabletop simulator, it's going to be 45 um, because there's certain things that are, it just takes longer and we can't, if there's multiple players, everyone can't see at the same time um, as opposed to being a person when we're all very aware of everyone who's around and where everyone's looking at. Right, that's yeah. another great point. Uh, you lose a little bit of that table presence, or oh, not table presence, but knowing what's happening around you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You it's the body language. You lose all of the body language when you have nothing but voice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have tried tabletop simulator in VR and, uh, you know, with Facebook release of the new Quest 2, which makes VR affordable for a lot of people. Um, and it's a great VR device. Uh, I, I would recommend you guys checking it out. Tabletop simulator looks great in VR, but the manipulation of the pieces, I found it to be a little difficult. It's very slow. Yeah. yeah. So uh, one thing I've done it as well. And it, yeah, because you have like, so you have your little uh, controllers in your hands and they have these little diamonds on the top and then on the diamond you can only like manipulate one card at a time so you're like pluck, pluck, pluck and then on your other hand you do have your hand. But it's just like, well, what if you were able to play a physical game but with two fingers? 
<laughs> that is yeah. something. So actually, I, I can give a, a, a really good specific example on this. So uh, we were talking briefly about like how do we adapt uh, real world games to this virtual format. Um, so one of my games is called Secret Recipe, and in Secret Recipe, you have you're basically taking notes on a dry erase board. It's a logic and deduction game. And in the real-world version, you just have a dry erase marker, dry erase board. You're marking X's, O's, and question marks to, you know, mark your guesses and whatnot. Um, the and the first version that I uploaded to Tabletop Simulator worked just like that. You would you like there's a draw tool in Tabletop Simulator, uh, but you're also looking at cards and grabbing stuff. So I was going back and forth between the grab tool and the draw tool. And after you've done this a couple dozen times during play, it gets a little tedious. So, um, the, I mean, I mean, it kind of comes back to the question of what is the player trying to do? Trying to collect information in, the, in a single place that's hidden from other players. And for the physical component that will hopefully eventually go in the box when this is published, it will be a dry erase marker and, you know, dry erase boards. For the tabletop simulator version, I just put in a couple of infinity bags with different colored cubes. So green cubes represent a check mark. Red cubes represent an X. Uh, yellow cubes represent like a question mark or whatever. So the cubes take the place of, of what you might write. So uh, you, you still read it the same. You still look at things the same. It's just you stay in the grab tool, which keeps you from having to go back and forth between two or more different tools to do one basic thing, you know? So you come back to the core thing, what people are doing. Go ahead, Tim. And, and, and no, that is a really good uh, suggestion. And uh, you have to be a little bit imaginative in translating that. But I think with some trial and error and imagination, we can get it to work. Yeah. So you want to know a really wacky thing you can do in Tabletop Simulator? So the thing is that annoys me is that there's these things called hidden zones. And whenever you put an object inside a hidden zone, it completely disappears. But the problem that this brings up is that what if you want to have an object where people know the location of that object, but don't know what information is on that object. Um, so the way that you're able to do that, there's a thing called hand zones. Uh, and with a hand zone, it will show the location of that object, and it'll snap to that area, but it won't show the information of it. So I had a game where you had little bid stands that you put in different locations, and you want to be able to easily see them. Um, but you can't really have them out in the open standing up because a person could just rotate their camera and look. I mean, obviously in a physical space, if someone's going around the table and looking behind your back, then of course you're going to yell at them. So you just have to draw all these hand zones. And it sort of works. Um, when everything is just moved around normally, it works. But if you like are able to draw a card, the card will like fly towards your main hand, but they get caught in one of these sub hands. And I guess if there's one thing I just want to call out Berserk Games for is like make hidden zones where we can actually see the object and not the information on the object. I guess. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's a great design tool and. Um... Maybe not the best playing tool, but I think with some imagination, we can make it work for most of our, maybe 99.9% .9 of our games. Yeah, and, and that's, that's worth acknowledging which, which types of games do, do not work in the virtual format. Obviously, the dexterity element 
is uh, it can be hit or miss. There is a flick tool in Tabletop Simulator that can work for some instances. Um, some things can be scripted, but uh, in general, anything that's requiring dexterity is problematic. Uh, Tabletop Simulator has a maximum of 10 players. So anything, if, if you're testing a game that requires 11 or more players, that's probably not going to work in that system. Uh, Discord might be another good option. Um, or if, or that, like a webcam sort of stream if everyone needs to see the same thing. Right. Um, and and we've, we've seen people use anything from Google's uh, spreadsheets to uh, uh, slides to anything to play test a game. So any tool that you can use online collaboratively could be a good play testing tool. But uh, I want to move on to talking more about organizational tools because the other challenge of running a playtest group of any kind is organization and online virtual playtest creates its own challenge. Um, David, do you want to talk a little about um, how we do organization in our group? Yeah, absolutely. Um, <clears throat> I'll say the one of the most one of the best things you can have in your group is Tam, who is amazing at building spreadsheets that have scripts in them. If I would just say, if you are having any questions about the organizing a, um, a virtual testing group and you want to uh, make your Google Sheet um, do a lot of stuff, I would just reach out to Tam directly. He is phenomenal at that. Um, I would say just for uh, having that that spreadsheet though is for, organ for organizing people when they get there is really useful. And I think most groups do use something, do use a spreadsheet, maybe um, similar to what we use. And, and it just kind of has the name, everybody puts their name and puts the name of their game, how many players they're looking for, the description. Um, and uh, it's a great kind of central place for the playtesters to, and the other designers or playtesters to, to see what is available. Um, and so as an organizational tool, I think a Google, Google Sheet is probably number one. Um, uh, maybe actually it's number two. I think you need some kind of, you need to probably Discord is the best audio video tool for communicating. Um, we tried it with, I think we tried Skype first and maybe we tried even Zoom in the beginning um, and Discord was quickly, uh, somebody decided that Discord would work and it was obviously great because of all of the um, the text channels and the videos and all that. But I think those two tools probably are the most important for, for organizing. Definitely. And uh, yeah, so virtual playtesting, when we started, we took a lot of stuff from, uh, from seeing how well uh, things worked in remote playtesting. And uh, we've, changed, we've tweaked the, the spreadsheet a little bit since then. But really one thing that's helped uh, within Discord is just having a clear structure and a clear format to giving people all the information they need uh, to see things uh, just in, in one channel. They can just read through that. And if they'd rather watch a video, I actually just recorded uh, like a six-minute video of the, of the whole grand tour, so to speak. So in six minutes, you'll be up to speed. Um, Watch it if you want. Feel free to read through the text if you want. It's basically the same information either way. Um, and once that's done, just giving them, giving 
uh, designers and playtesters a common understanding of what's about to happen. Uh, the spreadsheet as a great tool is great, and from that we can say, you know, it's the highest row where the designer is present. And in much the same way that when I say draw a card from the top of the deck, I don't have to tell you, take the, take the top card and the top card only. You know, we have a common reference of understanding. So the, the quicker you can get to that in any group that you're working with, the, the easier it is to get everyone and kind of cast the understanding the tool part to the to the fun, the reason you're there. Yeah, having a sort of structure for uh, showing the designers how to deal with when you're in a playtest is very, very important. Because um, um, the Seattle playtest group, we have an Excel sheet, um, same kind of, as uh, David, you mentioned, uh, name, how many players, time, what are you looking for to get playtested, and then preset for uh, server names, so that way, we don't have to be telling, what was your server again? What was your password again? It's just kind of, mm -hmm. it's an Excel sheet. It's done. We all know it. Uh, but then the other uh, playtest group that I'm in, the Break My Game, we don't have an Excel sheet there. Um, it's just a channel for the day. Um, and it works pretty well. Um, it's a, because we divide it in so many days, we playtest almost every day of the week. Um, it has smaller groups throughout because of all the different time zones. But even though it doesn't have an Excel sheet, it kind of works, but just because everyone knows the structure of how any of the days work, as long as you're there within the time. So it's very important to let everybody know the info beforehand, and it's important to read it and try to understand it, because all the groups work similar, but kind of different sometimes. Mm -hmm. So it's important to know where you're at. Can yeah. you just read the rules? Come on. <laughs> it's, it's helpful with acknowledging there are other systems that have been that have been done in other uh, playtesting groups and conventions. The Protospiel Online system uses uh, kind of a card-based system where you create, you basically fill information. You take a screenshot uh, of that information and then you upload that as a picture to uh, one of the Discord channels. It's worth acknowledging that as another thing that is uh, possible and done. And it's just another reminder of how to use tools to create common conventions. Um, we actually tried that at our very first meeting uh, in virtual playtesting. This was all the way back in like mid-May. I know it's such a long time ago. But um, it didn't work as well for us. And when we, when we saw the spreadsheet system that uh, Tam is currently showing, um, we embraced that as uh, a, a better system for for that for that specific meeting, but yeah. So I think something important to say is why Discord is currently the best. And in case if anyone want to use an alternate program, the things that they're probably looking for within a voice channel thing is the thing that Skype and Zoom doesn't do is it let you set up a space. The thing about Discord is that it lets you set up an entire space for people to enter and leave freely. Um, so once you're able to structure that space and then have the rules within that, that's what the main advantage of Discord is. And if there's any other program that lets you create a space of text and voice channels for people to enter and, and leave freely, I think they could also use that as well. It's just that Discord is the one that we've found and is probably the best so far because all of us have used it. Right. And it's also specifically targeted uh, for gamers and the kind of needs that gamers need. And I love the ability, as you said, to jump jump from voice channel to voice channel easily without any fuss, uh, which exactly. is exactly yeah. yeah. It gives you a really great place to build a community and to organize information 
in a way that works for you. Um, that also has a lot of uh, a lot of oomph to it, right? It's not based on uh, your computer because the cloud uh, computers are handling all of the backend stuff. Um, it doesn't limit you on time like Zoom does. It doesn't really have as many uh, technical issues as, as Skype does. Um, you know, it has hiccups like any any tech, but. I mean, you've, I, I've seen entire virtual conventions with, you know, thousands of members run on a single free server. So um, if, you, if you happen to find another better tool, let us know because, um, you know, I'm always looking for, you know, better ways of doing things. And, uh, yeah. Awesome. Um, so one of the things that is part of organization as well as, as, um, as your group grows. And uh, we learned this with our own group is how, because after a while you will not be able to accommodate all the people who showed up uh, to test the games within the seven hours. I can't believe we played tests for seven hours at a, at a <laughs> it's like a full-time job for us. But um, so, yeah, uh, and and David and I worked about worked on how how do we accommodate these people who didn't get a chance to play test? How do we give priority? In is it the person who signed in first? And we went through some iterations. David, you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. Um, there was definitely a lot of back and forth before we settled on the system, and it was we held out for a long time just using whoever's at the top of the list. But then you know somebody comes. A half hour late and they never get their game play like if somebody's just works till a half hour past your your group starts they never get their game um so actually again uh this goes back to tam um who was able to script this system where when you check check present there's a box on our spreadsheet it will assign you a random number and at the start of our test we'll sort by that number so um, there's no um, no panic to make sure that you get there before anyone else and put your name at the top of the list. Um, I think that resolved that issue really well. And then if you end up not getting your game played, there's another button called um, priority. And if you click that, it'll give you actually a negative number, which will put you at the top of the list when we sort it. Uh, and I think those two in combination really addressed the two biggest problems we were having, which was the scramble, the race to put your name on the list or to click present, who could click present fastest when we opened it up or, um, or not getting your game played. Um, and those, those, so those have been working super well lately. I don't think anybody's had any issues um, since then. And I don't one know of the I, challenges yeah. was also to keep that, um, whatever we designed um, uh, transparent so that people can see that this is what's happening. And it's almost like a little game, like, okay, who is going to be the lucky one today? Who's going to, um, it's, it's, it's a little fun game in itself. But there are, there are probably other ways of doing this as well. And uh, we're just using the tools that were available to us and the, and the path that we have, we have uh, gone through. Uh, what what do you guys use in your groups for priority? Seattle Playtest one we use. Um, so you have to playtest starts at six thirty um, every Wednesday uh, Pacific time, 
And then up until then, you have anyone can put all their games. The, your order doesn't matter. Uh, what we do is once uh, the day comes, we select them all, and then they get randomized. Um, and then whoever had checked present, because we have the present box as well, um, then we go down that order. So if you if your your game was in that list but there wasn't any present, you'll still be in the order in case you come in late. Um, and then if your game doesn't get play tested, but you were there and you, we see that you played games, because we also write down who played whose games, then if you played a couple of games, then you get priority next week if your game didn't get play tested this week. Yeah, we so do pretty much the, yeah, we do pretty much the same thing in virtual play testing. If you play tested other people's games, but for whatever reason your game does not get to the table, there's a little section at the top that gives anyone uh, priority, and the, the next day after the event, um, one of the hosts goes through and uh, finds those sorts of games, and then they get moved to the top of the list for the next meeting. And if someone wants to change that to the next meeting, because we run on Monday and Thursday, if someone wants to change it, they just need to PM me, and we're done. Mm -hmm. So yeah, very similar to Estefania. Yeah, it works. Do you find yourself as a moderator usually having like one day where you don't get your game played and then the next day you take priority and it just flips back and forth? <laughs> For me, uh, I don't think it's happened to me, per se. Uh -huh. Okay. And, and all these systems are really great. I think we've gotten to a point where we're fair enough to where not too many people would be upset when something happens. I yeah. think there are a few little points of contention. I think it comes down to the type of games that people ask other people to play. I mean, if I bring like a 10 minute game and then all of a sudden like the next person's like, okay, I played one game for the day. Who wants to play my thing that I like based off of the heaviness of Gloomhaven? And it's just like, right. well, one is not equivalent to the other at this point. And I think it's just really important to have a moderation team together to come up with those situations. Uh, pop up really. And I mean, I've never had point. issues so far, but I could see that happening in the future. And that's a great point, Kevin, because the other and maybe like 60% of running a successful playtesting uh, thing is is to have good moderators. And uh, because yeah, you know, all of the all the stuff that we do online, all the tools we use, it, it pretty much runs by the honor system and. Um, it's, as long as everybody is being good citizens, it'll work. And the moderators can help a little, but you know we're not police and we can't really force you to do something. So have you run across any uh, bad experiences? And if so, how did you deal with it? I think uh, the main one that happens is when it is time for someone's game to be played and no one wants to play it. I, I mean, it, it's really harsh saying that at that point, but it, I mean, like, a person will, like, give out their game, give out the descriptions, like, okay, who wants to join me? And it's just crickets. Yeah. Um, I think at the, that point, that is when the moderation team should come in and say, hey, I'll step in and I'll play it because we want you to stay here and uh, enjoy yourselves. Um, but I think that's also one of the harsh realities of feedback is that not only do you have to get people to play your game and like it, but you have to get them to play it in the first place. And if a person doesn't want to play the game currently right now, that may be something within your design. 
Um, and that's just one of the harsh realities that's come up, and I feel really bad when that does happen. With that being said, though, I think it's important to know that even because sometimes that happens to us when someone says their game and not anyone and no one wants to play, but sometimes it's because the kind of game that it is. So yeah. if that ever happens to you, come back another week or the week after that, because not every group or is exactly the same. And sometimes you'll find people who do want to play. So it's not, I don't think it's always because uh, maybe your game is missing something or isn't good. It's just yeah. that it's not the right audience. I don't like every type of game and I can't expect people to like my kind. So it's, you know, it's complicated online. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I, I guess I should have clarified there. I never, I never mean to say that if no one wants to play your game, it's not a good game. It's just that the game that you brought does not want to be played by the people that are here right now. Yeah, and that, that could just time. be the crowd, and that could be something else. Yeah, um, and usually it's just the crowd. Yeah, it's worth remembering, of course, that uh, if you have events that go on for long periods of time, and then after someone's been playing for four or five hours, and then the game that's about to be brought to the table is a two or three hour game. And you might go, let's oh, sit a three-hour game. I'm sorry. I'm tired. Or the other thing that also happens, you know, when you go to a real-world event, you, you, you kind of block out the evening, right? You make, a, you, you make this plan to go to a different place. You're going to drive there, bike there, whatever. And then you're going to spend the entire evening there unless you, you have you know, a change in schedule or whatever. When you're at home and the dog starts barking because you go, oh, yeah, I need to walk it. So, you know, you, it, it, it's, it, you don't always get one long block of time from every single playtester. We have had people that come in for the lunch break for an hour. They just want to watch, uh, watch something played. Maybe they can give some feedback. Then after they're done with work, they'll come home. Then they'll play some more. Um, you know, we, we take people as they are, not how we want them to be. So uh, by embracing... The reality of schedules also, you know, schedules are weird right now for everyone. You know, we not we, people may not always when they're going to need to be at work or whatever. So sometimes longer commitments can be scarier or just uh, more energy consuming, and uh, that does that sometimes means not every game uh, gets to the table every time. Um, I actually ran some numbers fairly recently and basically and basically found that about eighty percent of the time. Uh, if you show up and you're ready to, if, like if you've registered a game and you show up, 80% of the games get to the table. Um, so there's there's room for improvement there. Um, I don't know any group that's 100%, but, um, you know, in terms of understanding kind of the, the situation that can happen, um, I think we're doing, I think most groups are doing pretty well with that. Um, there's always room to improve, but go ahead, Dan. I also think that a piece of advice for a designer is to know what you're trying to test mm -hmm. because it, you might be at the point where you need to test the beginning to end full experience of a two hour game. Mm -hmm. But I would say most of the time when you're developing that two hour game, you're probably testing little aspects of it and you shouldn't, I think people maybe don't, think to do this very often, um, but to just test a portion of the game, test a few rounds, um, have it set up in the middle and test the last three rounds if you need to see the end or the scoring or exactly. I, I, I have a game now that I, I feel, you know, and I think maybe it's just, I feel a responsibility 
when I'm testing my game, I feel responsible for the time that I'm using of my testers. And I want to, I want to be respectful of that time as much as I can. I know that, that a lot of their time is, is going to be lost on my test, but I want to minimize that. And I want to try to find a way I have a game that I, I will, um, you know, I, I haven't, I don't think I've played past the first third of the game because I'm just trying to work on the, the round structure and the flow and certain things that I don't need to see more than that. And I think 60 minutes is a lot of time to be playing. Yeah. So if, if you can, that might help with what Kevin was, was mentioning about, you know, if you do hear crickets, you can always say, okay, well, I really am only testing this. So if, you know, if you of you get on there and we can go 45 minutes, then maybe you can, you know, get to that end. To that end, what you can do uh, in Tabletop Simulator, you can actually import a little clock that starts at zero and counts up. And so what we've actually encouraged some folks to do, just as a way of being conscientious of the time, uh, you know, put that on the table somewhere out of the way. It doesn't have to be, you know, middle of the table. And then once you've loaded up the server and people start kind of coming in, start the clock there. Um, it's going to count by the second, and it's something anyone can look at and go, wow, have you really been playing for an hour and a half? You know, so it's a, it, uh, beyond that, it's also, it's also a fine way of uh, just being more mindful of, of time wherever it goes. If you see that the, that the teach is taking you, you know, 20 or 30 minutes, maybe that's a good opportunity to kind of go back and go, how do I tighten this teach up? Uh, what yeah. details can I say? Of a great point is that it's not just the length of playing the game that you have to keep in mind, but it's also the teach and it's also the feedback. If mm-hmm. you're really bad at teaching, that's a skill that you need to improve. You need to become quick and efficient when it comes to teaching the game and making sure that people understand it. And, and then when it comes to a, feed, hmm? oh, uh, go ahead. Uh, oh. I was just going to say that uh, with uh, we're approaching the end of the panel, so let's. In- Let's wrap it up and uh, okay. I'll keep this really quick then. Then when it comes to feedback, you got to make sure that when it comes to feedback, you got to make sure that you're very specific in what you're asking for, not just like, "Well, how'd you feel?" And then we can talk from there. And you need to know when it's time to cut it off, or else you're going to get caught in the vortex. Um, That's all. Yeah. (laughs) And uh, well, I mean, time. I mean, it's a great topic to end the discussion. So. Thank you everyone again for being in this panel and sharing your stuff. So very quickly, uh, 15 seconds. Um, how can we find your groups online? Virtualplaytesting.com has basic information like the schedule and there's a link to the Discord there. You do have to agree to the code of conduct and, uh, and then you'll see the link. Um, but yeah, virtualplaytesting.com. I think for us, uh, Seattle Playtest and Break My Game, um, the best source is the um, Cardboard Edison site where it has all the lists. Um, you can find us there, uh, Seattle Tabletop uh, Game Designers and Break My Game. Awesome. I think that's probably the case for New York, Tam. You might know more better than I. I just always send some send people an invite, so I've never done a yeah. public. I think Cardboard Edison site is great for this resource. Mm-hmm. Great. Well, uh, again, thank you so much for, for, for the time and sharing your knowledge on this topic. And um, I'll be sure I'm, I'm sure I'm going to be seeing you guys in online soon. So have a good day. Yeah.
Thank you, Hi, everyone. Thank you very much. It was a great time. Thanks for having me. Bye. Wave to the camera.